0: Hey everyone, this is Pastor Daniel Williams with eeleaders.com. Happy New Year. It's 2019. I'm excited for all that God is going to do in our lives this year and in our ministry. And I'm hard at work on Season 2 of Leadership Lessons. I'm excited to be able to release that starting March 4th. But I thought during the month of February I would give you some special content to get you excited as well and to bless you and encourage you and so over this next month I'll be releasing content from the refresh conference it was a conference that we put on back in November 2018 to equip and encourage local leaders in our area it was an amazing time with pastor David Guzik and Jason Sanchez and of course many people in our community and so I know it's gonna bless you Uh, looking forward to a new season coming out March uh, 4th, look out for it, let people know about it, but here is session one from Pastor David Guzik, and giving you an encouraging and great word.
1: Good evening, everybody. You know, as I stand here before you tonight, this Friday evening, the first thing on my mind is, brother, you got some hand sanitizer for this microphone? There have been people touching all this all night long. (laughs) No, it's okay. I'm not like that. Um, I'm really, really pleased to be here because I am super grateful for any opportunity I have to spend time with other people who are serving the Lord. Yeah. I, I just am. I'm grateful for that. It's, um, I think there's a wonderful kinship. I, I got so much love and respect for all you guys who are out going to be uh, starting in churches. That's a wonderful thing. I've, I, I, I've, uh, I've planted two churches myself through my years of ministry. I've been involved in starting a Bible college, which is kind of like a church plant, but not exactly. Um, these are just wonderful, thrilling things. And the thing I always think about when it comes to our serving the Lord together is simply this. It's that, look, there's a lot of differences between us. There are. I mean, look, I'm from Santa Barbara, California. There's a West Coast, East Coast thing that makes things different. Our communities can be very different. Uh, I've been learning some very unique things about the community here in Delray Beach. It just kind of fascinates me about the kind of people that you minister to in the community here. Uh, our backgrounds are different. Our classes might be different. Racial differences, all that. I mean, experience is different. Denominational differences, all that. And, and I understand and I get it. But there's one thing I absolutely know. It's as fellow servants of God, what unites us is way more deep and profound than any of the ways we're different. And I just love that. I love the common ground I have with anybody who's serving the Lord. And so it's really a delight. It's a privilege for me to spend any time that I can with you all. And I'm looking forward to today and tomorrow as well. Uh, What time am I supposed to finish tonight? Let's just get that off the board right now. You're going to be having some Eutychus people here. 9.15? A... Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'm, I'm good. Um, I, all right, I, I could talk to you about, you know, kind of who I am and what I do with ministry. And I, I don't mind talking about that. But since we are going to have a question and answer time later, are we? Yeah, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning? Yeah. Uh, so if there's anything you want to know, you just ask it in the question and answer time. I just want to get into talking about some stuff from the Word. We, as servants of God, should feel such a connection with the theme of this conference. God is. Because when we talk about the nature of God, I'll be talking back to our sound guy here too as well. When we're talking about the nature of God and the attributes of God, This is something so important to us as servants of God. I want to paraphrase for you a quote from A.W. Tozer. And I think I'm pretty close to quoting it exactly. It's just I don't have it in front of me. I'm doing it from memory, so maybe I'm off by a word or two. But A.W. Tozer wrote something that is so countercultural that it just grabs my attention. And what I mean by countercultural is that Our culture all around us, it does not believe this next statement from Tozer is true at all. Matter of fact, it would assign almost zero truth to this statement from A.W. Tozer. And the statement goes like this. He said that the most important thing about a man or a woman, the most important thing about a man or a woman Is what comes into their mind when they think about God. Now, our culture tells us who cares? You might have a hundred problems, but that's not one of them. Who cares? You may think God's one thing, you may think God's another thing, a person out there think God's a third thing. Who cares? I got bills to pay, I got kids to raise. I've got life to live, and and who cares what you, I, or anybody else thinks about God? That's the way our world feels, and we get it. It's the world. but That's not the way the people of God are to feel. We, as the people of God, should understand that our chief occupation is to know God. Uh, It was an English poet, Alexander Pope. I don't know a thing the guy wrote other than this statement. <laughs> I mean, he was some famous writer, I know. But anyway, he, he wrote this. He said that, um, oh, man, what I wish I could remember the whole thing. He, um, something like this. Lift not your eyes to the sky. Presume not the heavens to scan. The proper study of mankind is man. I know I got that last part exactly. Pope said this, the proper study of mankind, in other words, what we should be studying is ourselves. Now, if that's the way the world wants to go, that's up to them. But I'll tell you this, the proper study of God's people is the God they serve. And I get back to this idea of Paul. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. This isn't going to be my text. This is all introduction, by the way. And does it count against my time? I'm not really sure. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Paul wrote this, and, and you know this passage. You love this passage. Um, that's one of the things I love to, about speaking to people who serve the Lord. You, you know what I'm talking about. Matter of fact, I, I'm, you, you can almost, like, you're thinking of the words right now before I even say them. I love that. But what things were gained to me... These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul's saying there, to paraphrase it, there is nothing more excellent to me than knowing Jesus. That's it. And and he's not talking the memory of knowing Jesus the way that Peter or Paul, the way that Peter or John or, or any of the other twelve disciples might have, yes. he's talking about knowing Christ spiritually in his life right now. And then he goes on, and this is sort of parenthetical, he says, uh, "For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him." Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And then now verse 10. It's like after that parenthetical statement, he continues on. Where was that before? He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection. From the dead. I tell you, those words ring out to me like an echo that started 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote these words. And it echoes in my soul and your soul to this day that I may know him. And I'm telling you, one of the reasons why God has called you to serve him is so that you would know him better. You thought it was because you were like one of his special favorites or like specially talented or or gifted and like God's looking for like the top kids in his family and those are the ones that are going to serve him. I think it's just the opposite. It's like uh, we're in God's class and God is the teacher and, and it's like God says to all the other kids, all right, you guys go out and play. You three, you stay in here with me. Does the teacher do that with, like, the specially good and gifted kids? No. The ones who are much more prone to trouble and need to stay close to the teacher all the time. And those students, those remedial students, they get to know the teacher in a way that the kids out in recess don't. But that's what God calls. It's like, it's like you, you. It's not I haven't called you to ministry just because I need a worker as if you are a drone in God's kingdom. It's that you are a daughter, you are a son, that he wants to know in a deeper way, and he wants you to know him. And that's why he's saying, there is a dimension of your knowing me that you're only going to get by serving me in this way. And that's why we come back, who is God? How can we know him more? What you guys are embarked on in your service with the Lord, this is one of the reasons why he's called and one of the things he's going to draw you into. Now, when I kind of am running through the theme of this, you know, 24 hours or whatever, less than that, that we have together, I'm thinking, wow, how do you talk about the nature of God from the Scripture? How do you talk about something that's so big? It's not something that's like almost every... Page of the scriptures, and then my mind was drawn to one particular place that I think is like this target-rich environment when we're talking about who God is, and it's Psalm 18. So turn to Psalm 18. We're going to talk about Psalm 18 together. Now, we are not going to talk about all of Psalm 18, because Psalm 18 is one of the longest psalms in the Bible, Matter of fact, there are only three psalms in the entire collection of psalms that are longer than Psalm 18. You know what the one that's longer for first of all, is what? Psalm 119. Have any of you guys ever taught through Psalm 119? It's, it's glorious. It is. It is. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I'll tell you this. It's just, this is just kind of preacher to preacher. You know how I taught through Psalm 119? is. You know, it's uh, the Hebrew alphabet in, what, 22 sections of eight verses each having to do, you know, that acrostic. I would teach one section of it, and then we'd break and have a little time of worship. Then I'd come back and teach another section, and I would do either two or three sections uh, evening Bible study until we got through the whole thing. Uh, And I got to say, it was wonderful for me. I don't know how the congregation loved it, but it was wonderful for me. Okay, there's only three psalms longer, 119, 78, and 89. Uh, and then you come in the, in the length of psalms now to psalm. So we're not going to go through the whole psalm. We're going to take a look at just like the first 15 verses. But to me, there's something remarkable about David's relationship with God. And, and to grab a hold of that, you need to understand something of the context of the psalm. In one sense, the context is easy to understand. You could understand it without even reading the title. But the context is something like this. God, I was in trouble, and you rescued me. All right, now, pin that to a point in David's life. It's like impossible, isn't it? Because he was always in trouble, and God was always rescuing him. So we're grateful that we have a little more understanding that. Look at the title for the psalm. Now, did do you see the title there? By the way, l- just a little bit of biblical knowledge here. Do you guys, and maybe I'm the dumb one in the crowd, because I didn't understand this until, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or something, when I'd been teaching the Bible for a long time. I didn't understand that the titles of the psalm are in the Hebrew text, that they're inspired. Now, when I say title of the psalm, like I'm looking at Psalm 18 in my Bible, and it says, God the Sovereign Savior. Th- that's not the title. That's put in there by the translator. But what it says below that to the chief musician, th- I mean, that's in the Hebrew text. Matter of fact, in some languages, when they translate the Bible, German and Swedish are like this. I don't know how many other ones there are. Verse 1 is actually the title. And and that's why the verses don't match from some language translations to others. Because it's part of the Hebrew text. So just look at the title of this. Now, I I said this is the fourth longest psalm in the Bible. This is the second longest title among all the psalms. Because it's a long title. Um, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, and he said. Remember that period in David's life when he lived as a fugitive from Saul? When Saul took everything from him, everything. He took his wealth, he took his career, Because David was on a pretty good career as a military man in Israel's army. Saul took that from him. He took his family, not only his married family, by granting his daughter, uh, Michael, to him and then taking Michal away. Then by taking David's um, natural family, his parents and brothers, uh, taking his security, he took everything from David. And David lived under those conditions. Look, it's a little hard to tell. Probably a good guess is 10 to 15 years. 10 to 15 years where every night he had to go to bed wondering if he'd wake up the next morning because if Saul and his men found him, he's a dead man. Rough, rough to live under that kind of stress. At the end of it all, this is what David's saying. Look at verse 1. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. You see, those first three verses, they begin with a triumphant declaration I will love you, O Lord. By the way, now, I, I love that idea that David is here deciding to love the Lord. We might wish that our love for God would always just bubble up with this beautiful spontaneity from within us. And look, aren't we praising the Lord to say oftentimes it is? It's like, Lord, I just love you. You've been so awesome to me. This is so wonderful. But there's other times where you and I, we got to say, I will love the Lord. It's not easy right now. Um, I, I, I'm not having a, it doesn't come just flow from me. But I will love the Lord because of all of his goodness to me. And, and, and then he has this, this just very strong, the, the Hebrew word there is sort of an unusual word for love. But, but he's just saying, God, you've delivered me. That's fantastic. It's all wonderful. He, he's responding with gratitude. He's not saying in bitterness towards God, well, it's about time you ended this. I've been living for the last 15 years wondering when this trial would be over. And now it's over. It's about time. None of that from David. It's like, Lord, I will love you, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Now, uh, did David love the Lord when he was a shepherd boy watching his father's sheep before God chose him to do anything? Did David love the Lord then? Yes, yes good answer yes he did he loved the Lord then how do we know that he loved the Lord well I mean here he is the sweet psalmist of Israel he makes reference in some of the psalms those beautiful days it was then when the Lord looked upon him and said that's a man after my own heart I mean this is beautiful David loved the Lord then no doubt about it did he know that God was his rock and his fortress and his deliverer? then I think so I mean, after all, wasn't it in those years before David ever met Goliath? Wasn't he tested by the lion and the bear? And and how terrifying that would be for a little boy to have to take on a lion or a bear. But he did it. And he knew that the Lord was his rock, his fortress, his deliverer. Okay, he knew it. But now when you read verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Wouldn't you be the first one to say that David knew it in a whole other way now some 15 years later? Okay, this is why it's important. You people are servants of the Lord. You love the Lord. You are spending your life to serve God, to serve His people, to serve a needy world. Praise the Lord for that, okay? And do you know that the Lord is good, that the Lord is a rock, that the Lord is a fortress, that the Lord is a, You know that. But here's the thing. I know it, and yet no doubt there's going to be a way in five years that I know it deeper than I know it now. And I think that's true for all of you. We, we don't live our Christian life and serve the Lord where we're just kind of like punching a ticket Okay, the Lord's my rock. Okay, great. All right, I got that ticket punched. I got that uh, ticket punched with that trial I had back in 1989. Okay, good, I had that. And then I move on from it. But these things about who God is, we learn them again and again on a deeper level every year that goes by. That's how it was for David. So he said, the Lord is my rock. He understood it. In many different levels. When he said, God is my strength in whom I trust, verse 2. David knew the triumph of God's strength over a long trial. Listen, this is the place where many people trip up. They can take almost anything that comes at the moment. You know what I mean? They can stand strong and bear up under it for that day, that week, and that month. But listen... There are some trials that come to us, that, and it's good we don't know this ahead of time, but God basically says, this one's going to last for years. And to know, God, your strength in that capacity, man, it's a whole nother kind of strength. The fact that David saw the Lord as a strength, it reminds me of Paul's later promise in Ephesians. Remember in that spiritual warfare section, Ephesians chapter 6, what does he say? He says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I mean, I think it's the same idea. David's looking at the Lord and saying, Lord, you're my strength. David's saying, my strength would have ran out a long time ago, but Lord, you are my strength. And then he goes on, verse 2, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Uh, Again, all these things, I want you to see, In verses two and three, basically, well, one, two, and three, I count nine different titles for God. Did you notice that? Let's count them. Ready? Verse one, strength. Verse two, rock. Verse three, or verse two still, fortress, deliverer, God, strength, shield, horn. Stronghold. Excuse me, that's just the first two verses. Nine understandings of who God is in just two verses. See what I meant about a target-rich environment for the names of God? Now, it's easy for us to think that David was just being like a poetic songwriter here and piling word upon word. And if David was only a songwriter... Maybe that would be the case. But we know that David was more than a songwriter, wasn't he? He was a prophet. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That idea that all Scripture being inspired by God is like carried along in the moment by the Spirit of God to say exactly. What we understand from our understanding of the inspiration of Scriptures is that every word here was meaningful. So when David said that God was his strength, he understood that God was the one who empowered him to survive against his enemies and eventually overcome them. When he said that God was his rock, he understood that God was his shelter, his safety, and his secure standing. When he said that God was his fortress, verse 2, He was his place of strength and safety. When he said that God was his deliverer, he said, you are the one who makes a way of escape for me. When he said that you are my God. By the way, this is an interesting construction here. According to the commentator Adam Clark, Adam Clark said that this is a construction that essentially says, my strong God. It's not the the normal word for God there. You're my strong God. The one who puts strength in my soul, Adam Clark said. And then in verse 2, he says, you're my strength. Now, you might say, okay, well, David, you're like a modern worship chorus guy. You're just repeating yourself. (laughs) Verse 1, he says strength, but verse 2 is a different Hebrew word for this strength. Uh, Again, Adam Clark says that the idea behind this word for strength in verse 2 has the idea of a fountain or a source or origin. But verse 2 adds, you're my shield. You defend my head and my heart. You're my horn, the idea being his strength and his defense. You're my stronghold, the high tower of refuge where he could see an enemy from a long distance and where he could be protected from that adversary. Right, we read this, and when we think about it, sort of meditate on it, drill down and go, oh, Lord, that's beautiful. And do you read that and go, okay, Lord, I want to know you that way. I want to be able to say the same things. Lord, I want to be able to say that you are my rock, you're my fortress, you're my deliverer, you're my strength, you're my mighty God, my shield, my hornets we go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I want it. And then I, I'm all excited about it, and then I stop and I go, whoa, wait a minute. What? circumstances of life, did David experience God in that way? All right, true confession time. I want to know God like David knew God without having to go through what David went through. That's me. I, I, don't, I hope I'm not the only one in the room, but that's me. Serving the Lord, it is the most wonderful thing that we can do with our lives. And and I'm speaking if you're called to do it. Look, if you're not called to do it, if you're called to serve God in your community by your business, by your, you know, um, uh, community participation, by whatever... But, but then praise the Lord, Then that's God's call for you. You're glorious in fulfilling that. But if I'm talking to people who are, are, are called in some uh, special way as servants of God, you're called to serve God, his people, and a needy community. If that's your call, there's nothing more glorious than doing it. And there's nothing more horrible than doing it. God has a death for every one of us to die. And if we're servants of the Lord, we should not be surprised that some of that death to self that we die has to do with our service to God. You see, there's something in me that wants to stand up in the pulpit and Sunday after Sunday in this kind of detached sense from the people tell them about how they need to trust God and hang on to him and believe in his salvation, believe in his rescue, believe in his goodness. I, I, I want to preach that to them from an ivory tower where instead God says, David, that's a good message. I'm going to show you how to live it as well. And some of that's going to come to me through the ministry. I'm not saying that all of it is, but some of it's going to come to me through the ministry. And sometimes when I think about that, I go, oh, man, i got to get out of this. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I've I got to get out of this. And then I realize, I realize, no, Lord, if I can know you the way that David did, there would not be a single regret. If my heart could sing with nine glorious titles reflecting my understanding of who god is in that moment man that's worth it it's worth it on every front i'm fulfilling what paul spoke about in philippians 3 that i may know him and the power is resurrection what's the next line the one we don't like there in philippians 3 and the Fellowship fellowship of his sufferings don't you see that right there isn't this psalm 18 and a lot of other psalms too And here it is, folks. It is horrible and glorious all at the same time. And we say, thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you. This is it. Now, that's why he can sing, verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be saved, so shall I be saved from my enemies. I'll date myself. I don't know if there's another man or woman in this room who would number but Man, we, we used to sing a chorus like that. And Tripp, you remember that? Yeah. That's great. The women would get echoing on that, man, and it would be awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? By the way, here, here's my thing. Any of you guys involved in worship or music or, or writing songs, I wish there were more songs today that we sang from Scripture. I'm not down on our modern worship music. There's a lot of great stuff out there. Praise the Lord for it. I just wish there were more songs. I know that there's some. I wish there were more songs today that set the words of Scripture to song, And do it in a modern way. Man, I'd love that. Uh, just, I, I think it's wonderful. All right. Verse 4. This, this is our identification with David in his ministry. Put, put yourself right here with this. The pangs of death surrounded me. And that's that staff meeting you got to go to right there. (laughs) The pangs of death surrounded me. Now, here's the deacons' meeting. And the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God, he heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. Now, I don't want to say that God put David in peril just so David could know that God would answer when he called. I'm sure there was a lot more reason. I, I, I believe, look, most intelligent beings, when we do something, we do it for more than one reason. And I think that when God allows things in our life or when God orchestrates things in our life, sometimes we make a mistake of saying, well, I know why God did that. And it may be one of the reasons why, but listen, God may be paying a 3D chess, five dimensional chess behind our scenes. I mean, yeah, there's this one move that you see, but you can't even see the other moves that it all leads to. I'm just saying one of the many reasons why God allows it because he says, David, because I'm going to reveal myself to you in a powerful way in and through what you're going through. Now, in my more carnal moments, I'll be saying, Lord, you say you're going to reveal yourself? Well, I don't know that that's worth it. Just get me out of this. Just stop the hurt. That's my more carnal moments. In, in in my more walking in the spirit moments, I'm like, Lord, I know that there's a portion of difficulty given to every life. I don't want a single ounce of my difficulty to be wasted if my difficulty can truly be a means through which God is revealed to me in a deeper or in a way that I have not known him before, that's worth it. That suffering wasn't wasted. It was transformed something powerful and glorious into being the means by which I know him better. I know the power of his resurrection better. I know the fellowship of his sufferings better. I know him better. And then I'm just going to read this because I just like reading it. I I don't have a lot to say from it, but man, is this, is this, this is beautiful. Verse 7. Then the earth shook and trembled. In other words, David cried out to God, and this is how God answered him. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundation of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire, he sent out his arrows and scattered the foe. Lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Man, that's just beautiful. Okay, you guys, look, people serving the Lord, lots of pastors, Bible teachers here. You, you tell me if this is a fair summary of verses 7 through 15. David is poetically describing how it felt to him God moved heaven and earth to bring his deliverance. Is that a fair summation of those verses? All right. Now, when did David feel that? Did he feel it in year two? Year five, year eight, year twelve. I'm like, Dave. When are you singing this? He's singing it when he really finally saw God's deliverance. And he said, "Lord, you did it so fast. It's like you flew on cherubs to do this. It's like you just lit up heaven and earth to bring my deliverance." Now, what I'm just trying to say is this: is that in the midst of the trial. I don't think David was feeling this very often. But when it was all over, he could look back and say, Lord, you did that. One of the most vexing questions in all the scriptures is, how long, O oh Lord? <laughs> Lord, I can stand up under anything for a little while. But when that trial, when that difficulty is prolonged. But you know what? When God finally brings his victory to us. We will look back and say, my wasn't that fast. Fully accepting we don't feel like it in the moment. Not trying to sugarcoat that at all. And I don't know, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if at the end of all this. Some of this is going to be our perspective from eternity. That trial that we lived with was so long. I mean, I, I think of somebody who has some kind of bodily infirmity, where naturally speaking, look, our God is a God of miracles and could do anything. But naturally speaking, you look at that person, you know what? They're going to be with that till they die. David, how can you tell them that that's going to be over quick? Look, some of this is going to be from our perspective in eternity. We're going to look back and go, well, that was like a blink of an eye. But that's what we are. We're eternal beings. We're not made just for this moment. But this moment is when God has said, you can know me in the difficulties as well as in the powerful triumphs. We will not be afforded that privilege in heaven to know him in the difficulties that's going to be over but now we have it david knew god this way by faith then he knew god this way by experience you look in these ways say well lord i need this i feel like the ground i stand on right now is so shaky I need that rock. God, I feel at this moment so weak. I need you to be my strength. And you're going on, God, I feel so attacked by other people. I need you to be my fortress. We say it by faith now and soon enough in God's plan. We're going to know this by experience as well as by faith. Well, it's um, almost 9.15. We've got lots of time tomorrow to talk about this. But I do just want to challenge you with that simple thought. Why did God give you the privilege of serving him? There's not just one reason. That's a question with many different answers to it. But I guarantee you one of the answers is, he wants you to know him in ways that his servants really only know. I'll end with this quick illustration. Jesus at the wedding of Cana. Okay, lots of you guys have taught on this. You love teaching on Jesus at the wedding of Cana. You know, he's turning water into wine. And uh, it's an amazing thing that he's done. By the way, you know the joke about that? So the, uh, the Irish priest gets pulled over by the policeman. And there's alcohol on the Irish priest's breath. And so the policeman's a little suspicious. And he sees a couple of bottles there on the front seat. And he says, Padre, I hate to ask you, you know, you're an upstanding man of the communal, but Padre, what's in the bottles? And he says, water. And the guy's going, oh, come on, man. Don't make me do this. Padre, come on, tell me, what's in the bottles? Water, he says. Finally, he goes, look, i got to check this out. And, uh, Padre, I've got I to open up the bottle and smell what's in there. Grabs a bottle, opens it up, smells it. It's wine. And he goes, Father, this is wine. And he says, well, praise the Lord. He's done it again. <laughs> All right. Bad joke. There. I'd never say that to my cousin. Well, I don't know, maybe never. but Okay. If you go back and read that incident, in John chapter 3, isn't it? Or is it chapter 4? Chapter 3, I think, isn't it? 2? John chapter 2. Thank you, Trip. John chapter 2. What you'll find is this. Is that the master of the feast and the guests at the feast, they had no idea what was going on. All they knew was that the host was so generous and gracious that he brought out the best wine at the end. That's the only thing that they knew. Who were the only ones who knew what was going on? The servants. Who, it was a lot of work to fill those water pots. That's a lot of water. They were the only ones who really knew what was going on. And they were privileged to know Jesus in a way that none of the others did. At least at that moment. That's what God has for you as his servants. Father, thank you. Thank you for calling us to serve you in whatever way you've called us to do it. Lord, maybe we recognize all over again that um, it's not because we were the best and the brightest. Lord, maybe it really is because we're the ones you needed to keep the closest eye on. But Jesus... um, We just offer ourselves to you to serve you and love you and honor you all over again. And, Lord, our our prayer is that not a single victory would be wasted and not a single sorrow would be wasted. Mm. But everything would be used as a vehicle for us to know you more and for us to receive how you reveal yourself to us more and more. Do it, Lord, in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.